0: Hello and welcome to the Bracken Outdoors podcast. This is one of our one of my longer Saturday episodes that happens once a month, and we take a deeper dive into a particular area of outdoor life, um, working as a bushcraft leader, or we interview someone who is really great at what they do and has a really interesting story to tell. Um, in as the, in their work as an outdoor instructor, or as a woodland leader, or someone who works in the outdoors, that's it. This is this is longer form content. It'll go about both on the YouTube channel and on the Bracken of Outdoors podcast. So, for this episode, I wanted to um, take a, a deeper dive into sustainability and our role as forest school leaders and um, bushcraft instructors in all of this like the sustainability is this big thing and there's there's a couple of different factors that are at play here when we're having these discussions and and people fall in different camps and there's different points of view and i just wanted to bring it all together with my particular thoughts on sustainability so this was this was kind of this this topic was prompted by two things i saw recently But it is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. First of these was I ran a holiday group with with another leader and we had a really fantastic day. It was really interesting point was when we started off we talked about um, the three rules of forest school. So it was similar to the permaculture principle in, in a way. It was take care of yourself, take care of others and take care of nature. So we went through that, the children all agreed. This, those rules sound pretty good. They they make sense that we care for others and we care for our environment. Now what was interesting was later on, we were making water filters. So we had a four-stage water filter system and we and made out of um, water bottles. So there's you cut a water bottle in half, strap it up and you can then pierce some holes in the cap of the bottle and then you can fill the top with each bottle with different um, filter mediums like gravel or sticks or sand or charcoal or whatever and it would filter water from the top all the way down through the water filter and i will have a video on that coming out quite quite soon but essentially at the bottom there if you don't add a wadding of something like cotton wool or moss, then it the holes in the caps clog up really easily. So the, one of the first tasks that I had the children do was go and gather some moss to plug the bottom of these bottles. Now that immediately drew a thought from one of the children. She says, well, isn't moss living? aren't we then taking living moss and put it in our water filter? Isn't that not taking care of nature? Now, that is a very fair point. That is, That was brilliant. I, I loved that question. I mean, we, we do kind of get a little horrified when we, when we kind of get, ask some of these questions but they are showing that children are making the right connections and thinking about the right things so it's a good discussion to have even though we may not want to have it at some points and yeah the in the end the discussion we had a discussion backwards and forwards and pretty much my opinion there before was that we are taking small amounts of moss and we're making sure not to take too much of taking from some pieces around and it is helping us learn more about nature and things like water filtration by harvesting a small amount of this renewable resource something that will the moss will grow back as long as I don't as long as we don't harvest all of it and strip and strip mine the area there will be it's and and actually those moss plugs do last a decent long time so I can keep them in there and they will still serve their purpose further down the line so that was just a really interesting discussion I had with a the child. Then shortly after that, I was looking through Facebook groups. I spend a lot of time on Facebook groups. They're looking to basically help out wherever I can. And there was a discussion. There was a, an opener. person who posted was asking about making bows and arrows and saying, What is the best wood? Where do I gather it? Children want to make bows and arrows. I want to gather wood for that. And there was a commenter there that that caught my eye that said, you shouldn't harm the trees, only take stuff that's already on the ground. I thought that was a really interesting point of view, but very indicative of a certain attitude towards nature. I'm not saying it's wholly bad or wholly good. I'm just saying certain attitude. And that was, it was basically saying we shouldn't do anything to harm nature. Now, the the issue here is, as anyone knows who's made bows before, you can't make good bows out of wood that isn't springy. And dry dead wood is the, the cellulose and everything... The fibres have hardened, and it's more brittle. That's how you know what good firewood is. If you can snap it easily, that tells you it's, it's good and usable. But it also makes it poor bow-making material. So you can't make good bows. And therefore, you are not achieving your goal with the session if you choose to avoid live wood. So, just just it got got me thinking a lot about this. Are we really just kind of going to avoid damaging nature in any way? Now, this this whole this whole thought process does have an origin, and It's the Leave No Trace um, campaign and worldview and everything else. And I think Leave No Trace. Is fantastic at what it's designed to do. So Leave No Trace was, uh, we'll call it a concept, that was brought in primarily to protect wilderness areas. The idea is that multiple people will be travelling through a certain area and area of pristine wilderness and you want to keep it that way. You want to keep it that way for the enjoyment of everyone else and the enjoyment and for the benefit of nature. So, if you are out in the middle of nowhere in the in the Rocky Mountains, that you don't just leave a fire pit, there you don't throw your rubbish around all over the place, you don't just go um, chopping down trees just for the sake of it, and that, it's a very valid concept. i i don't have a I don't have a problem with it as way of protecting wilderness areas. Basically, if everyone acted with disregard for nature then much of what we have as common ground in the uk or abroad would would be damaged and would would wouldn't be there to be fully appreciated for future generations so leave no trace is fundamentally a good concept and it it helps us take care of those wilderness um, landscapes. And it is also an antidote to population pressures because most true wilderness will bounce back pretty quickly from one person or a small group of people coming through once a year and then not coming back for another two, three years. That kind of pressure Mother Nature absorbs. It's no more pressure than a herd of elk or whatever would cause on a particular area. As long as people haven't brought in chainsaws and are just chopping nuts and clear-cutting the whole forest. Now what I'm talking about is just small-scale like camping and bushcraft in general outdoor spaces will bounce back from that and but it, as population increase and we we want access to nature we want people to be out there experiencing it and the only way for people to experience places like nas- natural, national parks and these, these areas of our sunny natural beauty is to avoid damaging it at all costs. Because if a, if a particular area sees many thousands of visitors a year, then even a small impact from each of those people is going to add up to a scar on the landscape. And that's that's where we we do have it is a thorny problem. It is thorny problem is we don't want to restrict access to outdoor space, but in the end of it, the amount of outdoor space we have per person is comparatively low compared to places with lower population density. So here in the UK, it is difficult to find a space that is truly away from people that hasn't got significant population pressure. And this is with most of the the population not having any interest in being in these, in these spaces. I mean, we some we, we are trying to spread the word about how great it is to be out in nature, but the consequences of everyone being out in nature are not something we really know what it's going to look like and whether it is actually going to be sustainable, or are we just going to wear everything into a muddy pit? At this time of year, you can see paths that have frequent um, access from people, they it it degrades the path and there is, there's a problem and I don't have the answer or I'm just being the weatherman, I'm just saying this is, if we get 60% of the population outdoors on a regular basis I don't think we have the land to support that because so much is, in, is, is in private ownership and so much of it is also arable land it's farmland, is not designed for say well wildlife or um, tourism use so so yeah there we, go. we leave No trace is a valuable concept and it is good for safeguarding our spaces but the problem with there's a problem with applying it to every situation first of all leave no trace was born in a Of an era where we were basically um, setting ourselves as other than nature. So there's nature over here, humans over here. We are not nature. Nature is something we visit and there are a number of flaws with that and the biggest thing is is that particularly in the UK you can't separate humans from nature. Humans separate themselves, but our impact is felt across virtually every natural site across the UK. There are very few areas that we can call original wild woodland or something, or a wood that has been essentially untouched by human hands. We are a part of, part of this. We are a keystone species. The same way that the wolves are in, the wolves were in the Yellowstone. A lot of people know about the story. That introducing wolves changed the course of the river because they moved on migrating elk and beavers and whatnot. So, on that aside, we we shape the landscape, and we have done for millennia. And the more people there, are, the more the landscape has been shaped. And just about if you go out and walk in your local woodland, there is a ninety-eight percent chance that that woodland has been managed by people in the past, or is in active management. And the problem with that is, is that we have already interfered with nature there. We have already put our mark on that. We have already decided which trees um, live, which trees die. And we have created an artificial ecosystem in some ways. And nature will will eventually revert to its own balance. Over many years, so if you see a site that has a vast number of one particular species of tree or shrub bush, like acres of browns and nettles, the natural way nature would deal with that is over the course of a couple of hundred years, um, a disease or something would move through that population and then lay waste to the ground and all of it would die away and then a different plant would take that space would fill that nature abhors a vacuum nature would fill that vacuum and you would have abundance of a certain thing and then gradually with those shifts backwards and forwards we think of it as swings um, of a pendulum gradually swing from one side to the other and then eventually it'll come back into the middle and it will be somewhat balanced. But this is a process that takes centuries for nature to accomplish. So a lot of our role, if we choose to take it on, as people who manage the land, is that we go in and we give nature a helping hand. We, we cut back some trees, and we, um, we introduce space for others. We plant some, and we take some out. So you may have noticed that I'm not in my usual room. This is because I'm over in my, on my family's homestead doing some winter work for them. And one of the things I've been looking at is there's an orchard on site. And the boundary to the orchard um, used to have what was a hawthorn hedge to stop the livestock from the field walking in and basically destroying the orchard but that has been neglected so 40 50 years later we have a dense stand of hawthorn trees under which not very much grows it is essentially close to a monoculture and a man-created monoculture we plant those hawthorn as a hedge and those grew and now they have shaded out that entire area so we could wait for them to get diseased and die wherever or i can come in with a saw and i can te- selectively thin out a hawthorn tree here a hawthorn thorn tree there and gradually open up light and um, space for precipitation so that other plants can grow and then they will start creating more diversity and we will create a better space for it a more biodiverse and more sustainable space a space that is better for both wildlife and us to enjoy so we are a keystone species we shape the land and i think it is our duty to be stewards of the land that is where i think our role comes in is that we when we are working or living around a certain plot of woodland we have responsibility over it. I think we all have responsibility for local spaces, whether we own them or not. I'm not saying go and start chopping down trees, but I think it's our responsibility to take care of the resources that are around us. And I think that in that case, our role is to be stewards, to... um, be, to manage the landscape, to go, okay, what is the best for this woodland as a whole? And a great example of this is hazel coppices. Hazel coppices, the, the management of hazel coppice where you, you have seven areas, I think, and then over the course of seven years, each section gets cut back in turn to to use as resources, so to use as fencing, to make walking poles out of it, to use as firewood, to make charcoal, all of that. And, and then it will regrow. Hazel is beautiful, it, it, love, it, it really does well. It, the plants, the actual physical organism lasts longer and lives longer being cut back regularly it accelerates new growth. Same thing with grass. When you rotate cattle through a a grassland and bits of it are cut back, it will graze graze back, the grass grows back faster and greener and more healthy. This is, um, I think it's, I believe the term is hormesis, where you stress an organism to, Basically, improve its its um, its systems, its functions, because it it galvanizes all of the cells and moves it in a in a in a direction. In us, we have our stable temperature. When we move our temperature by, say, taking a cold plunge or something. It takes us out of that state and then everything activates. Anyone who's swum in a cold lake or had an ice bath knows how invigorating it feels right after that. By stressing an organism, we do actually activate it and get it moving, get the cells open up pathways that would maybe dormant. And just in the same way, by taking small portions of woodland or managing it or cutting back a certain bit of a tree, we actually increase the abundance like with fruit trees you you prune them to then create more space for fruit to grow and a more focused energy so that is what we are doing as stewards of land so taking four or five hazel poles from a hazel from a hazel tree it it doesn't destroy the organism it actually increases growth on the bits that remain and it might open up a space in the canopy for some wildflowers to grow underneath it. And they will increase increase diversity. Our role is not only negative on the land. We can actually have positive land. Obviously I'm not advocating strip mining by taking all of the resources and not giving anything back. But I'm talking about using sustainable use of the resources there. And that's the region of sustainability isn't is to be sustained over a long period of time. It is not to avoid using completely. It is to it is to almost ration out the resources that we have for a longer period of time. So yes, it's it's not destruction. It is careful, thoughtful use, and that means working with other people, being that good steward and management. And I think that is so much beneficial. I think in some ways uh, we can be very hypocritical about about use of local spaces, in that we will avoid cutting, um, taking some cuttings from some holly trees to make wreaths. But at the same time, we are quite happy to um, quite happy to use plastic wreaths inside our home that have been manufactured in China from materials mined in. Who knows where, and then shipped halfway across the globe. I think, I think that's one of our, the big problems we have now in society, is that this whole greenwashing thing, where we go, oh, this is so much more sustainable. Uh, electric cars are so much better than diesel, when really, in many ways they're just outsourcing the the destruction from your local space to a space where you don't see it. Landfills make things, you put something in the bin, it just disappears off to a landfill. And we're always thinking about that, the kind of, okay, if it's not happening in my immediate backyard, I'm sustainable. It's why we, why we can promote vegan and vegetarian diets, even if the food is flown over from... Um, from Spain or Portugal or, or packed in um, Vietnam or whatever and we can ignore locally sourced, ethically harvested venison. It's It doesn't make any sense. We need to be, as people I think, re- managing the resources close to us, using those resources first and foremost in a sustainable way First and foremost, looking to the resources of our local community, of our local woodlands, fields, grasslands, before we start thinking about bringing in resources from outside. It is not more sustainable to buy something from halfway across the world than just take it from our back garden. And that that's... I mean, there, there are problems with that. As I said right at the start, leave no trace, there are population pressures. We can't all take resources from our um, the meagre allotted space we have and access we have to nature and woodlands. If everyone who lived within a mile of woodland went out and oh, took a tree home to turn into firewood, we would have nothing left. And I don't have the answers there. But I think we can't distance ourselves from nature. If we want children to have and future generations and adults to have a connection to nature, to want to protect it, to want to safeguard it, we need to act as part of it. We need to not see it as something other than ourselves but also see our our role within it and see how we can interact positively because the people who have memories of making bows and arrows from trees in their local woodland will have a much greater connection to that woodland than people who just pass through in their cars and that is i think our role our role i think there were very few people who would deny that their role as a woodland leader art instructor is connection to nature and we can't connect unless we become part of it so, yeah, that's, it's a big subject, it's a very conscientious one, but those are my thoughts on it. It Really, we have, we are lucky enough that in a lot, most areas we do have, still have access to green spaces and woodlands. But we have less than other countries, and we need to manage it accordingly, but that is not by avoiding our role in it. All right, I will leave it there. I have... Um, I've probably rambled on long enough and it's probably going on for a decent amount of time. So I think I will leave it there. As always, if you'd like to give me your thoughts, if you've got any comments, questions, anything that you want to know more about or you have, you're have you curious about, just drop me an email at info at brackenoutdoors.com or leave a comment on the YouTube channel or contact me on social media. I'm, I'm everywhere and I do try and respond to as much as I possibly can. I'm here to help. So we will be back with uh, next week with another Wednesday vlog and next Saturday with another video. I'm not quite sure what that's going to be yet but I'm going to get out and film over the next weekend. There is still plenty happening. I have a knives and tools course coming up in February, so do check that out if you're interested in that. I have forest school sessions, bushcraft sessions, all still going on a bit of a reduced schedule because of the winter. As I said, I'm I'm out here doing work on the on the farm. So if if you've enjoyed that, do enjoy this episode, do let me know. And I should be back. Next month, with another episode, I've got a whole lot of peop, fantastic people lined up as interviews. So you'll see a lot more of those coming out over the coming months, and we'll dive into we'll dive in deep into some conversations like this on business, on um, educational philosophy, on just living the outdoor life. And we'll dive in all into that. So that's something to look forward to this year. So, thank you so much for watching or listening, as the case may be. Remember to make the most of every day. And I'll catch you all next time.